0: Hello everyone. It's Angeline Chen. Welcome to Immigration Today, where I interview leaders, advocates, experts, and volunteers in immigration and immigrant rights on the issues, their experiences, and how you can make a difference. Today we have Miri Whitehill, the founder and executive director of Miri's List. Miri's List is a nonprofit organization in California dedicated to helping refugee families with resources to resettle into their new homes in the United States. Miri started Miri's List in July 2016 when a friend introduced her to a family of new arrival Syrian refugees resettling in Los Angeles with kids, and same, with, kids with the same age as her own. Until then, she was a stay at home mom and community activist with 10 years of experience in digital marketing. Miri's list provides a mechanism for people to directly help new arrival refugee families with the things that they need to get started in their new lives, from diapers to beds to cleaning supplies and toiletries. They also use crowdsourcing and social media to connect people who want to help with new refugee families who have needs that are not completely met by the organizations that sponsor them. Each family has unique needs, so each family has a unique list of supplies that they need to get started. Miri's list takes care of that. Her story is an inspiration to so many, especially to new mothers. I'm so honored to have her as my guest today. Miri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Angeline. It's nice to see you today and hear hear you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, So we're just going to get started to some questions about you and your organization, how people can help. Is that okay? Perfect. Thank you so much for highlighting our work at this really critical time. Yeah, totally. So tell me, Mary, like where does your passion are helping these immigrants like stem from? Where does it come from?
1: Um, wow. Well, Mary's List is just a five-year-old organization, um, which means that five years ago, I uh, met the first family. Um, I began learning about what life is like for folks who are coming to this country as, uh, people searching for safety, fleeing persecution and violence, Um, meeting that one family. um, It presented me with a lot of assumptions that I had about what happens for refugees when they get to this country, assumptions that I hadn't even really thought through completely, but I just had in my mind. One of those assumptions was when refugees come, oh, the government has them covered. Um, you know, and then meeting this one family in 2016, I was looking around their apartment and seeing how not covered they were by the government. Mm -hmm. Um, they needed things like towels and mattresses. Um, -hmm. you know, so though Miriam's list began five years ago, I do think that, um, in, in my experience, the work of being involved with my community. Um, looking around and seeing how I could improve the experience for others around me, especially those who are new in my community. Um, That started long before um, Mm -hmm. 2016. Um, When I was 22, I uh, graduated from college. I went to University of Maryland. Um, The first job that I took out of college was at a technology company in Israel. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, I moved out there, just me and my dog. And, um, you know, I was um, in a new country. I didn't speak the language, uh, didn't really fully understand the culture. Um, also, I was coming from an Orthodox Jewish upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so I had all of these other assumptions about Arabic people that mm-hmm. were taught to me as a child and as a teenager that moving to Tel Aviv, which is an extremely mixed and diverse city, I was finding myself relearning a lot of things. It was almost like an uneducation experience where Mm -hmm. I really felt alone for a minute Mm -hmm. and then getting to know my neighbors helped me to feel more at home there. Um, And for the first time I had people in my life who spoke Arabic And who were Muslim. And, you know, I was taught a lot about Muslim and Arabic people as a kid Mm -hmm. in the very secluded Orthodox Jewish community that I was raised in. But then I was, you know, kind of for the first time having this learning experience of my own, getting to know people, seeing that. A lot of the things that were taught to me as facts and truth were certainly not facts and were absolutely fear-based.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I didn't really think about it at that time because this was many years before Mary's List began. But, you know, I look back on that time and I remember how at ease I felt once I had a community support system that was my neighbors and friends in my, mm-hmm. in my neighborhood in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about that time a lot because, you know, it's such this, the smallest things really made a big, big impact for me. So when my next door neighbor knocked on the door, she had heard me scream. She thought something horrible had happened to me. She came over with a broomstick in her hand.
2: She, mm-hmm. thought she was going
1: to be beating someone up that night. There was just a big spider. And I screamed because it surprised me. And, you know, I, I just really appreciated it that, you know, I was like, Oh, Oh, I thought I was alone here, but, but you're here with your broomstick. So like, I guess I'm not, mm-hmm. and you know, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what we do at Miri's list. You know, mm-hmm. we're not necessarily showing up at the door physically. Cause we do a lot of phone calls and we communicate a lot through WhatsApp and text and mm-hmm. in other ways, we certainly do show up at the door a good amount, but not always. And you can show up at the door for someone kind of figuratively, You can certainly do it emotionally. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: that is um, absolutely something
0: that we've incorporated into our approach at Mary's List. It makes a really big difference. I love that story. I love that story. And, you know, so talking about neighbors, you mentioned that quite a bit because it was also your neighbor who introduced you to the Syrian family. Yes. Then you helped them. But how did it go from just, you know, Being your own philanthropic self and helping the way you can to then saying we need to put an organization together. How did that happen? That was not a plan. Um, You know,
1: a neighbor of mine had just met this family from Syria who had moved to LA as refugees. Uh, She met them through her church. They happened to have a baby who was the same age as mine, Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: is why she thought to call me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people whose babies are about the same size, they probably have about the same size problems. Like, let's talk, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went to their house and, you know, without having any kind of like formal education around um, immigration, except for what was taught to me in high school by Mm Miss Norma Johnson, who was the first person to introduce me to the idea of what naturalization is and what, mm-hmm. why, why people come to this country and what happens when they get here and what the process is for immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember a lot of that stuff from high school. Um, and you know, if my friend, my neighbor, Suzanne is her name, by the way, mm-hmm. she had called me and said, Hey, Mary, um, can you, uh, start a nonprofit organization to help refugees? <laughs> I met this family. I would have told her I can't, I'm too busy. I, I had a newborn and a toddler with me pretty much at all times. And there was just no way that I could have anticipated the idea of starting an organization. But once I met that family, because her question was, Miri, can you help me to get some supplies for this family who has a baby Mm -hmm. the same age as yours? You know, that was an easy yes, because, you know, I'm, I was, living in an abundance of stuff that was hand-me-downs from my older kid, first of all, and then also hand-me-downs from my friends and neighbors, kids and everyone. was just kind of like giving me the stuff that I needed to set Mm -hmm. my home up just so, so it could be a kind of place that I could function normally, keep clean, and then also retain some semblance of normalcy. Like a place to put the baby down in the bathroom, like a little jumper chair. So I could take a shower without the baby, like, you know, I don't know, rolling around and getting into
0: trouble. Huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge, mm-hmm.
1: you know, and visiting this family, looking around their home, not only did they not have a place to put the baby down in the bathroom, but they didn't have a place to put the baby down anywhere in their house. <laughs> and I was, I was just mm-hmm. like, I really want to help them to make their mm-hmm. lives easier. I want to help this mom take a shower with peace of heart and peace of mind. I want to make sure that this dad has a place to put the baby so he can do dishes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, um, you know, once we had kind of walked around their apartment and uh, I called a friend of mine who spoke Arabic, he was on FaceTime with us and he was our interpreter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, he had never met them before, but something about them sharing a language really allowed them to just be more open with Mm -hmm. him than they could have ever been with me. We were like, you know, trying to use Google translate on our phones and it was just not working. And he was, um, he was able to make them feel comfortable
2: Mm. and,
1: um, which led them to be willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Me, you know, a stranger coming into your home and then asking to look through your cabinets to figure out what you need. Like that's a vulnerable thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, once we, we compiled that first list, which was about 40 or so items that they needed that included everything from furniture to garbage bags. Um, I went home and, you know, I I didn't even really consider is this a situation that is systemic because I was still like, these are my friends. These are my new friends. And I'm going to help them with my friends. Um, once I had shared their list with the people in my world, and I did that through Facebook originally, I just typed the list into a Facebook post. Um, Then I saw my friends, my family, my neighbors, passionately showing up to help, Mm -hmm. wasting no time, showing up at my house that very day with supplies, going to Target, picking up cleaning supplies, dropping it off at my house. Going online, downloading a grocery list for a traditional Syrian grocery list, mm-hmm. going to Target and or, or even Costco and buying the big sizes of all the different spices and rice and olive oil. And then showing up in my house, the car full of groceries. Hey, this is for the family.
2: Mm.
1: You know, that was really moving for me because I, I hadn't considered that this was something that I was going to be doing with anyone more than my, you know, immediate friends. But suddenly it was like, okay, hundreds of people are now involved. We we were able to um, get that family, everything that they needed within Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. And, you know, it was only then once that family's list was fulfilled that I began to wonder, you know, was that a situation where they had fallen through the cracks or is it typical for a family to get here as refugees and then be kind of stuck in an empty apartment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but in this in this country, our federal government licenses nine resettlement agencies to do this work of resettling families
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, on behalf of the government. Um, I didn't know that, but I knew how to Google. So I Googled Syrian refugees, Los Angeles.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I started researching and calling around to the resettlement agencies that were working in my city of LA. And um, that's how I found myself on the phone with a caseworker, um, somebody Mm -hmm. who um, has since retired. But um, at that time, she was in her 30th or 33rd year of being a caseworker at a resettlement agency. And. She obviously had a ton of lived experience and insight. Um, You know, I was green. I was literally had met one family and had no other experience, Mm -hmm. Um, but she said something that really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And, and she said, you know, today, like the day of our phone call, this was in 2016. She said, today I am responsible for about 10 times more people than I was responsible for 10 years ago,
2: Mm. doing the
1: same job. So 10 years ago, I would have 20 to 30 people on my list. Um, Today, I have two to 300 people on my list that I'm responsible for. And that kind of gave me the context that I needed to understand, all right, the situation that that family was in, now I understand where the gap is. There's a caseworker who can't possibly be responsive to the needs of hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. One agency, how are they supposed to navigate? The, there's, you know, one family. This family was five people. They had the baby. They also had five year old twins and mom and dad. Each of the individual human beings in that family have their own unique needs
2: mm-hmm.
1: emotional needs, physical needs, social needs. They need and deserve individualized attention.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is just not possible when there is one person. Who's the point of contact for all of these people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of solidified the need for me in terms of, okay, this is why me and my friends need to get involved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, in just kind of this like spur of the moment decision. I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make her think that I know what I'm doing. Because <laughs> I, You know, I had, I promise I had good intentions. I was like, I was seriously concerned for her. I could Mm -hmm. hear in her voice that she was maxed out and, and worried about the people. And so I like threw on my marketing and advertising hat that I Mm -hmm. had from my previous career. And I said, you know, um, I, uh, volunteer with my community. We have a crowdsourcing platform where we use social media to help refugees to get Mm -hmm. their needs met. Is that something that might be helpful? Mm -hmm. You want to help get people's homes set up. And I didn't think that she would buy it. I thought that she would say, who are you? Like you call me up and you think I'm just going to like share information with you about people that I work with. Absolutely not. I was kind of bracing myself to be shot down, Mm -hmm. but she surprised me. She said, wow, thank you so much. We have really, really needed help like this for a long time. Oh, I mean, she sent me the phone number mm-hmm. for the second family. Um, they were a mom and dad with three little kids, a, a newborn, a two-year-old and a six-year-old.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they needed a triple stroller so they could get their six-year-old to school with the baby and the toddler with them because mm-hmm. they didn't have a car. I mean, of course we were able to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, this was kind of the beginning of me uh, learning about what this situation is, what Mm -hmm. the system provides, and also what the system doesn't provide. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I mean, anybody who has ever gone into a government building or tried to make an appointment with a government agency, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) you know, like, this is not a system that is meant for individualized love and nurturing and care and warmth. This is a system that's meant to Prevent people from dying. Yeah. And also to be a system. It needs to be, you need to have a number. You need to wait in line. Mm -hmm. You need to go by what the policies are. You know, there is not a lot of nurturing that's available. Mm -hmm. And this is a population of people that is in immediate need of a community of caring, involved people. You know, fast forward five years, we enrolled our 644th family in our program this week. Wow, congratulations, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. The the last five years have been a whirlwind because so much has happened for immigrants Mm -hmm. in the United States since 2016. I mean, Mm -hmm. when when I met that family, Barack Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after, we had a new administration that basically took a wrecking ball to the federal system for refugees. Now we are on the other side. We have a new federal government with totally different immigration policy. However, no one can snap their fingers and rebuild something in a day a week
0: a month that took four years to shut down right right yeah tell tell yeah I mean this is a great segue what is Mary's list like now so how staff again you mentioned how many families that's that's amazing location demographic you know tell us a little bit about where you are now yeah so we're a 501c3 um Great. We,
1: um, have a staff of, uh, 12 people, um, and three kind of core volunteers that are involved in a day-to-day way. Mm -hmm. Um, all of us are working directly with families in some capacity, uh, myself included. Um, we are relying on the support from literally hundreds of other volunteers Mm -hmm. who are contributing in many, many different ways, both directly with families and administratively. Um, we enroll 25 new families every month in our program. Mm-hmm. The program, it now goes beyond making lists and filling homes with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 12 month um, engagement with the family. Um, we take them through our three pillars, which are survive, hive and thrive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, basically doing a needs assessment, addressing the most urgent needs up front. The second phase being hive to connect that family with a community support system, helpful Mm -hmm. volunteers who are available to help with things like learning English on zoom, Mm -hmm. um, just like this, but with noise canceling headphones and a lot more (laughs) chaos behind you Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and getting to sit with someone once a week for 12 weeks and just talk, you know, in Uh, addition to to gaining language skills, you, there's also friendships that are developed. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that we have friendships with people outside our family. Oh, definitely. This is, this is um, part of our human experience. Um, and then, you know, ultimately what we want for all of our families is they get to that third phase, which is called thrive, thrive. Um, and a you know a general sense of well being, a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. um, a sense that you have a community support system to rely on. You can lean in, and you can also give. A mm-hmm. lot of our families stay involved as volunteers. Um, the service component of Mary's list is really important for mm-hmm. literally everyone. Like it keeps me going, and then also for graduates of our program
2: mm-hmm. who
1: continue showing up. Hey. I know that I'm not in the program anymore. I'd really like to help as an interpreter. Let me know if you mm. ever need somebody who speaks Dari. I, I'm your person.
2: Mm. It's very
1: helpful. And it's not only helpful for us, but it's helpful for the volunteer as well, who is now in a position of having an abundance,
0: right. being able to give back. That is extremely fulfilling. Are these uh, families in Los Angeles area and how are they finding you? Our families are currently located in 17 states
1: nationally. Wow. Most of the Marysless families are here in California, um, San Diego, Orange County, Los Angeles County, Riverside County, Sacramento County. These are very, very um, hopping hubs for -hmm. our families. We work with a couple hundred families in Sacramento right now. Mm -hmm. Um, we're enrolling new families there every week. Um, San Diego, there's so many families that are arriving to San Diego right now, and it's going to continue like that. In fact, I've heard from people in the system that over the next six weeks, the Biden administration plans to bring in five times more refugees to the United States as arrived in all of last year.
0: Mm -hmm. So
2: we're very busy.
0: You're very busy. Yeah. And where are they coming from?
1: Right now, all of the families we enroll are from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: mm-hmm. Our families have um, some of, some of them are coming directly from Afghanistan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, though, some of those people came on military planes. Um, those folks were not able to bring suitcases in most cases. They were oh. bringing just their documents and themselves. Um, some of our families um, had to go to another country to wait as asylees. We had a family who we enrolled last week who um, was waiting in Indonesia. Wow. Um, families coming through Qatar is quite common.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, families are in lots of different situations. Um, some families are coming here with the SIV, the Special Immigrant Visa. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the full support of the resettlement agency and caseworker for 90 days. as. Um, allowed to them by the law.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some families are coming here on uh, humanitarian parolee uh, as, as parolees. in in certain cases, some of those people do not have access to the support of a caseworker and resettlement agency.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the challenges for folks in those situations are very different. Um, you know, all of these folks, regardless of which visa and which refugee status they came here on, they had to leave behind so much. They had to sacrifice most of what they own and love Yeah, that feels like home to them. And the only thing that all refugees have in common is that home was not safe and they mm-hmm. cannot return. Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. Other than that, the families we serve are a complete cross-section of society. Mm -hmm. Some of our families, they come here, they owned three cars in their home country and multiple houses, and they've traveled the world and they speak five different languages and they have multiple higher education degrees. Mm -hmm. Some of our families come and they lived in small towns and um, some of the uh, women in our program um, are, they went to college and have master's degrees. Some of the women in our program were unable to continue their education after seventh grade. Some of the people in our program um, are preliterate in their native language. Um, you know, some of this is why we have developed Miri's List into a fully customizable engagement with the family. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have one type of person who we're helping. And so the key thing is, is when we're enrolling the family,
0: we say, what do you need? Right. Right. So when you are then connected to these agencies and they are sending, so that that are related to the federal government, Mm -hmm. that's how they are sending you these families? Not quite. Um,
1: So that second family was referred to me by a caseworker at a resettlement agency. Um, Mm -hmm. And the next few families after that were kind of referred from the agencies, um, also the families themselves, Mm -hmm. um, who were meeting people at the doctor's office or the grocery store and then giving them my number. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think it was the seventh or eighth family. They had just gotten here from Syria. I got them on the phone one day. Somehow they had gotten my number from a family member or something. They lived in San Diego. I thought, all right, sounds like an adventure. Got my kids in the car, filled up the car with different kinds of supplies for the family, drove down there. While I was there, they introduced me to about 10 more families from Syria Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who were living in their building, whose children were still sleeping on the floor.
0: My goodness.
1: And then from there, it started to just be word of mouth. And I think that it's important to know that about Mary's List and just about kind of how the refugee resettlement sector works in the United States. Um, there are nine licensed resettlement agencies that work for the government, mm-hmm. um, those caseworkers, Are absolute heroes. There is no such thing as a caseworker at a resettlement agency that is doing it for the fame or the fortune. Um, These are people, many of whom have lived experience with coming to the United States, either through this system or through another form of migration. Um, However, that system is insufficient. Um, We are not a licensed resettlement agency. We do not take money from the government. Mm -hmm. We are a community-based organization we are not affiliated with any faith we represent the neighbors our clients are the families
2: mm-hmm.
1: we do not work for those agencies
0: and when families come in through these resettlement agencies what does the government provide them do they provide them with housing at least some sometimes families
1: are provided with housing through their caseworker sometimes families are brought to somebody else's house and are now a family of five living with a family of seven in a two-bedroom apartment
2: Mm -hmm. um
1: and they kind of have to find their own housing um it really depends on what the visa and immigration status is of the family Mm -hmm. um when a resettlement agency and a caseworker are involved, that that relationship will help the family to, first of all, get an airport pickup. They're gonna be there to to get them at the airport, bring them somewhere to stay temporarily, whether it's somebody's house or a motel, um, showing up to take the family to um, sign up for public benefits. So cash aid, getting on Medi-Cal so they can see doctors. Um, making sure that the kids can, um, get their vaccinations so they can be enrolled in school. Um, the first 90 days is where the resettlement agency and the caseworker are really doing the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. Um, and after 90 days, the relationship is typically over. I mean, the case Mm -hmm. is closed, um, you know, good luck. And, um, You know, there are plenty of examples of resettlement agencies that have programming that continues beyond 90 days, but for the most part, you know, that's what the system provides. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, the system provides um, the basics in the house. So things like beds, things like a sofa, dishes in the kitchen. These are things that according to the license of a resettlement agency, they are required to provide Mm -hmm. for every family. However, you know, of the 41 families from Afghanistan that we have enrolled since August 10th, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, and today is September 30th. So in the last
2: eight weeks, Mm -hmm.
0: we've enrolled
1: 41 Afghan families. Unbelievable. Four of them had beds. Mm. And so there is the system and how it's supposed to work. And then there's the system and how it's actually working. And it's not a coincidence and it's not, there's no one that is like, you know, with malicious intent, oh, let's bring a bunch of refugees and make them be living in empty apartments. That is not the intention, but that is the result of a highly downsized sector You know we have the fewest federal resources available to refugees as we had in modern history because the trump administration was literally dismantling it they bit by bit you know every time Mm -hmm. the former president lowered the refugee admissions cap he was without saying it forthright he was lowering the funding right to the resettlement agencies resettlement agencies get funded the same way public schools get funded Mm-hmm. It's based on attendance, the number mm-hmm. of people who show up at the door. And so when we have a record low number of refugees arriving, that means we have a record low number of funds going to those agencies. During the Trump administration, over a hundred resettlement agencies closed their doors permanently. Oh I mean, that means leasing the buildings to other companies letting go of their staff, people losing their jobs, people retiring early. Um, And so, you know, in our current state where we have a completely different immigration policy in the White House, um, which is what we want. We wanted that the whole time. This is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. However, you know, imagine using our school metaphor, Imagine that just here in Los Angeles, imagine that a hundred schools closed over the, f- the last few years. And then the first move of the school districts to solve for that, to fix that would be to bring in five times more students first. It's impossible. It's impossible. We need more buildings. We need more trained experts. We need people on the ground. We need people who are just there to make sure that families are getting beds. Mm -hmm. That that's just not happening. It's it's, it would be impossible in the current state of the resettlement system for that to be happening at scale. And you know, what I, you know, if it were up to me, if president Biden called me up today and he said, Mary, what do we need to do to fix refugee resettlement right Mm -hmm.
2: now? Mm -hmm.
1: First of all, I I have uh, a letter with some with some guidelines that I've written up for him. So, you know, listening to this, you know, please do call me up. I have some step by step, you know what you can do. But, you know, the biggest thing is that there needs to be a complete review of the funding structure, Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: to fund a system that is primarily dealing with families, with young children to fund that system based on how many people arrive. Mm -hmm. means that there is no preparation possible. We cannot build businesses based on future money. Right. We can't hire people without giving them job security. How Mm -hmm. can you bring in more caseworkers if you're only going to get the funding to do so after the need is there? Yeah. When the families have arrived. And what we're seeing at, you know, happening right now is the families fall through the cracks. Yeah. They're the ones who are, Wondering, does anybody in the, the United States of America care how uncomfortable I am? Yeah. You know, imagine being in a new apartment with no furniture with mm-hmm. your partner and your one-year-old twins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What does one, what is one supposed to do if they don't have money and they don't know anyone and they don't speak the language? How do you get cribs for your babies? Right. Myriads List is not the only organization doing what we do. There are community-based organizations all over the country. We're actually part of a national coalition called the Hello Neighbor Network.
2: Hmm. And
1: there are plenty of organizations that are working in addition to what is provided by the government to make life easier and more comfortable for new arrival refugees.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for organizations like yours. But it really shouldn't depend on you right? <laughs> I feel like, again, this would be my personal opinion, but the government should take care of these people. Um, and that's why we have podcasts like these to try and spread the word and let people know. Because people are hearing on the news that refugees are coming in from Afghanistan. But do they know what happens to them after? You know, So you're providing the education on this and to open people's eyes the way other people did that for you right? Um, could you give us an example of, of a family you helped where it affected you personally, or you were really personally connected um, with? Can you give us an example of that?
1: I mean, I am just moved by the heroic acts of parenting that is just inherent to the experience of coming to this country as refugees. Um, there is not a single parent in our program or who has come through this system that has not had to make really, really difficult choices. Um, choices that are based on what will be the best thing for their children, particularly their girls, but especially for, all, for, for their children, period. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, these last six weeks, we've enrolled a lot of families that were not, didn't have time to plan for this. Right. And, um, that's really difficult because there's, you know, with a big trip, there's a lot of planning involved, like just logistically, like, Oh, what am I going to put in my suitcase? Well, what if you can't bring a suitcase,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's not just what goes in your suitcase. Cause it's also about emotional planning. Before Mm -hmm. a move, it's like, you need to like, think about it. You need to like, imagine yourself in your new space. Well, what if you don't know what your new space is going to look like? What if you don't know which city you're going to end up in? You're just going to get on a plane and well, I'll see where I end up. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, that's a situation for a lot of families in our program. And I've been this past couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to work with a family, uh, the Jawad family. They're from Afghanistan, mom, dad, Mm -hmm. and a little one. She's two years old and Mm -hmm. Um, They live in Virginia. um, So I haven't gotten a chance to meet them in person yet. Um, I'm from Maryland. So I, Mm. um, I just really want to go out and, uh, you know, visit my family and friends, but then also meet all of my new family and all of my new friends that I have in the DC area that I just didn't know when I was there. Um, And, um, you know, I was particularly moved by this family because when I called up, you know they had filled out our application and been accepted to our program and i called the number and it had been listed as with a man's name so i assumed that i was calling mr jawad mm-hmm. and um and i did i called and he answered and he was i said hi it's miri Mary from miri's list um we you know i wanted to welcome you to our program he goes, who what what's miri's <laughs> i don't know and then i hear another voice in the background and then i hear him talking in dari and then i hear a shuffle and then i hear hello and it's a woman's voice and, um, I said, hi, this is Mary from Mary's list. She goes, Mary, it's so good to hear from you. You know, I have been following your organization on Instagram for years. And I always said that if I come to America, the first thing I'm going to do is apply for Mary's list. I was just like, so surprised by this. I was, it was just not what I was expecting. And first of all, she had like beautiful English, like better than you and me. And mm. then also she had done so much she had known about us she had all this background information about mary's list and she had done the research and the day that they arrived sure enough they applied and and you know i was really just really impressed and moved by by that because there is just so many moving parts mm-hmm. that come with picking up your family and moving to a new place even under quote unquote perfect circumstances like if everything is ideal that's going to be really hard mm-hmm. but you know, I just could hear so much just like excitement and passion in her. And then I heard her talking with her husband and then he got excited and passionate too. But, but it was really, you know, it was this mom who was like, this is my plan. We're going to come to the United States. We're going to apply for this program. I've already been like paying attention to what they do for a couple of years. And, um, you know, when we were, while we were doing her needs assessment, you know, I was asking things like, do you have beds Or, or do you have a bed for your kid? Do you have a bed for you and your husband? And at that point they did not. Um, So we were able to, you know, ask them things like, do you prefer a soft mattress or a firm mattress? Mm -hmm. What color bedding do you want for your daughter? Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: She, she wanted rainbows and unicorns. So we sent her rainbows and unicorns. And um, if you look on our Instagram page, you'll actually see a picture of this beautiful little one in her new bed. And, you know, mom has just been really, really communicative with us as far as like how it felt for her to, um, be able to just have that conversation with, with me and other members of my team about what their needs are. yeah. And, you know, I, I was really moved by that. And, you know, I wonder like how many more people in Afghanistan
2: mm.
1: are hearing about what we're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then when they get to this country are doing that with the intention of becoming part of our community. And maybe there's some folks like that in that situation who are listening to this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. And I just want them to know and also they should tell their friends that we are here and we're waiting. We want to help. We are standing by. We love sending beds to families. I have sent 44 couches <laughs> in the last 8 weeks to wow. people. Wow. And so you know, it's not just about what do you need to survive. It's mm-hmm. about What do you need to set your home up? So Mm -hmm. it feels like your home. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. Oh, sorry. um, There's one other thing I wanted to share with you that really kind of stopped me in my tracks this week was, was on the phone with another, another mother, um, uh, Mrs. Yazdani. Um, She is here with her husband. They have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. They live in Northern California. Um, they got here, I believe, August 12th from Afghanistan. And um, we were talking to her on the phone and doing that initial needs assessment. And when I asked her about area rugs, I said, what color do you want for the rugs for your living mm. room? And, you know, if if you don't know Afghan, anyone in your life who is from Afghanistan, um, I want just want to share that having rugs on the floor is very, very important because mm-hmm. Afghan culture, you sit on the floor, you drink tea, meals or picnics. Like it's very much part of the culture. And a floor with no rug is highly, highly uncomfortable for, for anyone it would be, but like particularly for Afghan families. And so we consider rugs an emergency item.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, We
1: send that out right away. Anyway. So I asked her, what color Mm -hmm. rugs do you want? Usually families in our program, they ask for Persian style rugs. It's just, you know, that's kind of the style that Um, is very, very popular.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And Mrs. Yazdani said to me, she said, um, in our house in Afghanistan, we had cream colored rugs. Mm. Could you send cream colored rugs so we can have like the same color that we had in our old house?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And like, I mean, that just, just gave me chills. I was, I was just like, yes, of course Mm -hmm. we'll send you two really big cream colored rugs. And like, I thought it was just so beautiful that she was just like expressing that to us. Like I want this and here's why, because mm-hmm. really what she was saying is that she wants her, her new
0: house to look like home. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, Thank you for sharing those stories. how, can people help? How can people volunteer? How can, you know, people donate? Tell us. Miri's um, list relies on
1: the help from volunteers mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Um, we have a lot of volunteers who are working virtually. We also have volunteers who are in person. I have someone in our welcome workshop behind my house right now, packing kits for families um, with uh, supplies like toiletries and cleaning supplies and face masks and backpacks. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, We regularly need the support of people um, who can give what they have. So whether it's one hour or they can make a donation or host a fundraiser or do a supplies collection. I mean, these are things that keep us going. Um, We have a volunteer page on our website and um, there's lots of information in there about various ways to contribute. Um, I wish that I could just have an easy and short answer to that question because, you know, if we had one volunteer job that I'd be like, oh, yes, this is the thing that you should do. But there are so many ways to get involved, even something as you know, s- small as writing one letter,
0: mm-hmm. one
1: welcome letter to one family. Oh, You know, that can have a tremendous impact. You know, I have a bin over here on the other side of my room. I can mm-hmm. show you if you want, but it's the welcome letters that we picked up at our mailbox yesterday.
2: Aww. The bin is
1: full. And every single box that we send to a family, we include welcome letters in there. So it is not just, here's your stuff. It is, there's a genuine human connection that's happening in there. And, okay. you, know, you know, instead of just talking about it, I'm just going to grab it because I got to read you. I just... I just think this is so important. So this is yesterday's, these are yesterday's. That's amazing. And I'm just gonna read this one off the top, okay? Looks like this.
0: Has Mm -hmm. like cute rainbow dots on it. Oh my gosh, please read it. The handwriting is
1: from a child, maybe fourth or fifth grade. She says, dear friend, my name is Maya. Welcome to the USA. I hope you like it here. I wanna meet you someday. You are so amazing.
0: I hope you have a good
1: day. Love, Maya.
0: Oh my goodness. Makes me wanna cry. That is super sweet. Here's another one. It has- This has a drawing with clouds and flowers and stars on it.
2: Oh my goodness,
0: read that one. This one says, Dear friend, Salam.
1: Welcome to America. It takes a lot of courage to move to a different country. And I admire that about you. You will do great here. You will enjoy all of the food here. It is very good. From- <laughs> oh, that's super sweet. Thank you. I mean, we could go on and on, but yeah, you know, as far as the, how can people help? Whatever you have to give, that's where we want your help. Mm-hmm. Right now, we are running an emergency action campaign specifically for our Afghan families and kids.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we have a completely unique link for fundraising for that fund. It's separate from our general operating fund. Um, okay. Making a financial contribution to that fund or our general operating fund is what keeps us going.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: philanthropy is the fuel of Miri's List. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything else we do is possible because people, mostly individual people, by the way, and lots of um, families and communities getting involved how they can. Um, you know, this is how we've been able to go from one meeting with one family five years ago to a sustainable organization that has now served over 3,500 individual people and wow. more than 600 families. So the door is open and I'm just so glad you're here. Like you, you got involved and then like never left. And I'm just like, so stoked to be be here with you. And thank you so much for just keeping Mary's list close to your heart and just being proactive.
0: No, this is, this is absolutely great. We're going to be posting the website for the organization and the social media links Right. And so basically to find you, it's Mary's list.org. That's it. M-I-R-Y-S-L-I-S-T.org. Mary's list.org. And they can volunteer. They can donate to either fund. Both funds are there operating or the- They're all there. Fund.
1: That's right. right. And in November, we will be launching our annual Friends Giving with Mary's List. It's a fundraiser campaign. Um, we have lots of people that are doing that fundraising on our behalf. Um, this is our annual campaign to raise the money that we're going to need to support next year's families. So anything that we raise in November is going to go towards the families that we enroll in 2022. And having the participation of many doing what they can, that's how we've been able to achieve all of our goals so far. So
0: let's keep going. Totally. I mean, I can't even imagine how many you're going to get in 2022. So yes, we're to have to fundraise for that. Yes. Thank you so much, Mary, for your commitment and dedication to these families. Honestly, I've oh, I've been thinking about you through these years, and I'm just so glad you're here to talk about it with us. And you're still going, and you look great.
1: Oh, likewise, and thank you so so much for this. Being proactive is just the most helpful thing. And um, and my guess is that there's a lot of folks who are listening to this that uh, work with people who are resettling um, refugees, immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or or maybe, you know, someone who is working with this population, my advice to you, even before you sign up to volunteer and to donate to Mary's list, um, call the people, you know, who are working with refugees right now,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: ask them how they're doing, Mm -hmm. send them dinner, um, do what you can to show them that camaraderie, that support, that love, let them feel seen by you because, we are struggling. Our families are struggling and we are struggling because we are knowing that when we go to sleep at night, there is no shortage of more that needs to be done tomorrow. And having the support of our friends, it helps to keep us going.
0: Absolutely. You, you, you really got it there because, you know, I, I talk talked to a lot of immigration attorneys, service providers, people in nonprofit, people like you, and just, in the front lines, you know, and it, it is, there is trauma and, um, you know, you, you need the community. We need the community as well. So that was great. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, thank you, Mary, and hope we can uh, have you back in the future as well. Thank you so much for having me.
2: This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only, and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.